Welcome to This Week in Location-Based Marketing with your hosts, Asif Khan and Abriana Lopez. All right, we are back with your favorite podcast show of the week. This is This Week in Location-Based Marketing, episode number 435, and we are recording live on Tuesday, October the 8th. Uh, Brianna, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing well, yeah. Um, I'm kind of like, you know, it's, it's that final crunch time, right? Like we're less than two weeks now uh, from Retail Loco in Atlanta, so it's all the last-minute things to finish off and um so yeah but uh i'm excited about it we've got some great speakers coming and uh get to be in your town so yeah atlanta's a fun place to visit this time of year it's finally cooling off a little bit um and i'm excited about retail local but it's really hard for me to get excited because i just feel like there's so much going on before that gets here and that's so close but i wanted to let you know that i got out of jury duty just so i could be there nice. <laughs> <laughs> I like uh, so uh i am good to go and i am excited to be there awesome yeah well should we just jump in yeah let's this? jump in so three industry news stories three member news stories simple show this week i'll let you kick it off okay laura well that's what this story is all about um there is a new um, well, a new virtual assistant that's being added to Skoda cars, which are Czech cars, if you are not familiar with them, because I am heard of them, but not super familiar with them. But apparently they um, sold about 1.2 million, 1.25 million cars last year that were distributed all around the world by Skoda. And now they're adding this virtual assistant into their car. Um, so, okay, Laura is what you say to wake up the virtual assistant. It can do things like, you know, um, I don't know, navigate routes and control the radio or some basic things that they mentioned. It's also available in six different languages. Um, you know, Skoda is an offshoot of Volkswagen group, which is really interesting as well, because I think they're pretty, you know, forward thinking in a lot of the stuff that they design and how they work. Um, and you know, this is obviously becoming a trend, the whole personal assistant, virtual assistant, you know, we've got it on our phones, we have it on different devices throughout our home. Uh, you know, now they're adding this into cars. It makes sense. Obviously you want to decrease distraction in the car. So if you can do a voice command versus having to manually, you know, change the radio station or lower the air temperature or whatever it may be, I think it's a great win in going in the right direction. We've seen BMW do this. I love. Uh, BMW said they have an intelligent personal assistant. I'm like, well, yeah, let's let's now, you know, differentiate those as if everybody's like, please let me build the uh, unintelligent personal assistant. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like the idea that this is going to decrease distraction. Um, it just is a, you know, for me, like the things I think about, wow, I really wish I could ask my car or my phone to do things for me, like, hey, can you read me that last email, you know, that I received on this email address or, you know, mm -hmm. Hey, can you respond this? It's just not really that intuitive, intuitive yet. Um, so I think voice has so far to go, but I just love seeing all of the direction that different things are taking. And obviously the car makers are saying, well, we want to get in on this too. We don't want to just sit around and wait for like, you know, Amazon and Google to be the, the front runners. And so, you know, they're making a move and it makes complete sense. Yeah, I, th I think this is a sort of a natural progression. We've talked about a, a bunch of car companies kind of moving in this direction. I think voice in the car is, uh, 
is a natural sort of uh, move forward. I, I think it's not, to your point, not quite as intuitive as we would like it to be yet. But I think, you know, the hands-free nature of it, I think the ability to uh, integrate commerce into this as well. So not just controlling features and functions within the car or reading text messages or things like that, but, you know, being able to initiate purchases and payments and things like that all integrated in. Uh, we're seeing more and more of that in the vehicle as well. So, you know, I'm not surprised by this story at all. I think we're seeing, you know, lots of this kind of thing happen with, you know, pretty much every major car company out there. Um, you know, I, I think there's, um, you know, it's one thing to have OK Laura or whatever it's, it's called, but uh, I think there's, you know, as these things become sort of more pervasive in the market, I think uh, we will also start to see, you know, more uh, personalization around the services, around the voices, around the, the, you know, the characters and things like that. I know uh, when we were, on our summer vacation this year, going down to Myrtle Beach and driving, I know uh, that uh, we were we were using ways to navigate. We had the uh, you could have a Cookie Monster uh, voice telling you you know where to go and what to do, which was kind of fun. Uh, the kids the kids enjoyed it. So um, you know it's annoying after a while. Can you give us a sample of that. <laughs> I don't know if I have it here. Um, I'll, I'll, oh, I'll you yourself. I want I want to hear it from well, you. No, I can't do it. I can't do it. Um, but my son was super excited about uh, Amazon announced with Alexa that um, they uh, they signed uh, uh, Samuel L. Jackson as the first sort of celebrity voice now. So you can actually, so I don't know if it's available just yet, but it was coming like before Christmas anyways. Uh, you can have him, uh, you know, sort of be, be the voice on your Amazon Alexa device. And so that's kind of cool. And, and they even like, because it's him, like they're like, you know, you can set the, you know, you know, in the settings, you know, whether you want his normal profanity or not, and those kind of, <laughs> those kinds of things. So, um, so that like they're gonna be like, "Mom, I learned a new word today from Alexa." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I think that uh, I, I think there is a bit of, a bit of um, value. There's a lot of value in these types of services, and at the same time, I think that you know we can we can learn to kind of have a little fun with them and personalize them at, at the same time. So, there you go. Okay. All right, on to our second story. Um, so this isn't like a, a true location-based uh, marketing story, but I saw this story in the news and I pulled it out because of all the things we've been talking about around Amazon Go type stores and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and uh, so the city of Philadelphia uh, in the U.S. Uh, has passed the law making it the first major U.S. city to ban cashless stores. So what they're basically saying is if you are a retailer, if you have a store in the city of Philadelphia, you must uh, also accept, you know, hard physical cash, uh, old school cash alongside the other payment methods. You can't say we're only taking credit cards and debit cards and, and those kinds of things. So you have to accept cash. And um, so I think this is super interesting. I think, um, that, you know, on the one hand, we see this big movement towards the cashierless, uh, you know, environments and, you know, completely automated payment mechanisms, you know, with the Amazon Go and Albert Hein we talked about the other week in, in, uh, in, in Amsterdam and so on. And so, and here you have a city saying, no, 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 like this, you know, you must take cash. And so, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's sort of like one's fighting the other. And we're seeing certain cities kind of make these moves Obviously, this is the first one in this area. We talked uh, a little while ago on the show 
about San Francisco banning facial recognition. Um, so, you know, while the technology is advancing, I think, um, fairly rapidly uh, in, in, in all these different areas, and for the most part, retail is accepting it. I think there is a bit of a pushback um, coming, you know, at a municipal level, um, maybe even a state level in some cases around some of this stuff. So I think it's super interesting to kind of look at the, you know, sort of the ebbs and flows of, of how this stuff moves across the industry. And, um, you know, the, the, their claim, the city in this case is saying, you know, like Philadelphia has uh, a high population of low income um, folks <coughs> and uh, these people, you know, live on cash. Many of them don't have bank accounts or credit cards or any of these kinds of things. Um, you have to enable them to, uh, to you know, to, to accept cash as well. So I get it. Um, and at the same time, you maybe you're stifling innovation. I don't know. What are your thoughts? You know, um, I, I'm surprised, first of all, that Philly's the first one to do this. Uh, I think that's interesting. I think we looked at New Jersey was banning it as well as a state, right? And this was just citywide. I don't remember. But, yeah. you know, I think that, um, I think you're right. Like, there's definitely a, you know, a large population of just, you know, all the different classes that are in Philly. I mean, there's, it's very, it is very much a melting pot um, and it's diverse, but, you know, I would say that there's definitely some lower income, um, you know, populations and pockets there for sure. And they, you know, there are such things as the unbanked or the underbanked. And so I think that this makes sense from that perspective. And I also think that, you know, in essence, if you, it is sort of discriminatory to say like, hey, you have to have this, you know, this, uh, a credit card or a debit card, uh, you know, to do something. So even, even, um, you know, things like silly is like renting a car, you get that you need like a credit card or something on file to make sure that, you know, for the liability and things like that. Right. But also you have to be able to serve, um, you know, the, the general public as well. So what's interesting to me is like, it's acceptable in some cases, but it's not in others. So I think it just depends on the industry, but for the storefront, I think it makes sense. I think it would be, you know, discriminating against different people and different classes if you are not allowing people to pay cash. And also I think that it kind of, from a, from a different standpoint, besides the discrimination part of it, I think that you're also forcing people into a decision that they don't necessarily want to or have to make, right? There's plenty of people who, um, you know, like one day I hope that I have no credit cards. <laughs> like, I just don't use them, sorry, you know, or, you know, I only use them for these specific reasons. Um, so, you know, you like there's people who just have a, a financial decision that they want to make or they don't want to be forced to make a certain decision. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing like with facial recognition or anything else. So I think that it's great that technology is evolving, but you have to be able to serve where we are. And I'm not sure that like society is ready for or wants to move in a direction where there's no cash anyways. Yeah, fair enough. I, um, I, I think, though, if you think about sort of these cashierless stores, like an Amazon Go type store, um, maybe across the street from a 7-Eleven, uh, a traditional 7-Eleven, let's say, like, I think that to me anyways, it's okay to say, okay, if I want to pay cash, I'll go to the 7-Eleven um, because they accept it. And, and if I'm okay with sort of the digital walk in, walk out, nobody, no staff, all of that, then, you know, I'll, I'll go to the Amazon ghost or maybe, but I think that, 
you know, you give people the choice, right? At the end of the day, right? I think that I don't know that necessarily an Amazon Go type store needs to accept cash. Yeah, but here's the thing: an Amazon Unless that's Go the type, only type store, of that we have. Well, an Amazon Go type store should collect cash because let's face it: chances are, 99 people who walk into an Amazon Go store are not going to be paying cash. So just accept it, and you know, maybe it's like you put cash on a on a on a gift card when you walk in the the, the door, right? So mm -hmm. in essence, you're still paying cash, but you know, there's kind of a way around it where there's still the cashierless play. So you have a machine, just like when you go to a video arcade, you load up your card with money. It's the same, same scenario. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't really think that it's a big deal, but people aren't going to be going in there that aren't, that are only cash paying people all the time. Anyways, I think that that's, yeah, they're yeah. going to go across the street to the Seven Eleven because that's what, where they're going to shop. For sure. So I think that is a deterrent enough. You don't have to say like, we're not going to offer cash, but it doesn't look like they have a choice now anyway. So <laughs> there you go. All right. <laughs> On to our next story. All right. So these, uh, these are some friends that we've known, I think in the industry for a while, at least I have, and uh, two different companies that we've known, Coach Hava and Cubic. And so if you're not familiar with either of them, Coach Hava uh, provides real time solutions for mobile. And uh, you know, they kind of got their, big start and big focus on in-app analytics. And then Cubic, we know them as their focus on location intelligence and, and data. Um, and so these two have partnered up now and they are trying to measure the impact of various out of home campaigns. So the, this is a very specific thing that they have partnered up to do. And um, I did not realize that there's even a need in this space, but apparently there is a challenge that you need to be able to tell when out of home is driving app downloads. Um, so a billboard for a specific app, you know, somebody downloads the app or, you know, a digital signage in the mall that has something about an app and then that app is downloaded. So what they're doing here is they're measuring foot traffic patterns, um, dwell time, you know, things of that nature where they have these different signals from mobile devices that will say, okay, you know, this, this device dwelled in this this period of time and then downloaded the app. Um, so Coachava obviously can measure the user behavior in the app downloads and Cubic is focusing on like the dwell time and, and that sort of location intelligence and movement. Um, you know, I think this is, it's a good partnership. They both play their specific roles. I don't know how big of a problem or a challenge this is. Um, and I think that it's going to be like a smaller reach, but obviously I don't know the in-app space as well as these two players do specifically Java. So if it's something their clients are asking for and willing to pay for, then uh, it sounds like a good challenge to be meeting and something that they're pretty, um, they're, they're pretty uh, well off, you know, positioned to do pretty quickly and easily in terms of this partnership getting off the ground. So um, yeah, I mean, I don't really have a lot to add. I don't think it's like, you know, ground shaking or shattering, life changing partnership. But you know, a lot of these things are just about bringing features to current clients and making sure that they can do what they're trying to do. Um, and so when it comes to measuring app downloads, obviously they need to measure which media and medium is having the most effect. And this is a good way to do that, right? Yeah. Um, 
I, th I think so. And I'm with you. I mean, I don't know the volumes of how many app companies out there are running, you know, ads to drive downloads off of billboards, right, out of out of home. But um, probably significant enough that, you know, you need a partnership like this to, uh, to, to measure that. And I think, you know, the, the interesting thing here is, uh, um, is that Cubic is, um, you know, I think they're kind of well positioned, I would say, to be part of this in that, you know, they have a lot of first party data in terms of how they go about uh, collecting that information. They've got, you know, the partnerships with guys like Gas Buddy and, and folks like that out there in terms of understanding, um, you know, what's going on. You know, when I saw this story, I thought immediately of the campaign that Burger King did in Mexico City. Um, around the traffic jam uh, situation where they actually were running ads on the billboards along the highways and at the same time running Waze ads to try and drive downloads of the Burger King app in traffic. And, um, and, and so there's a, a perfect scenario to me where you would want to use something like this to measure uh, the effectiveness of that, right? So uh, I think that's interesting. I think too, when you look at the sort of the the first party versus uh, bitstream data discussion. I think that's something that is going to become a big issue in the next couple of months. You know, Google's getting in a lot of trouble right now in uh, in the UK, um, uh, and I think we're seeing a pushback against, in general, bitstream data. Um, obviously, we've talked about Apple's changes in in what they're doing in in, in around privacy and location data sharing and things like that as well. So I think all of these things are, are changing and kind of refocusing the need for first party data. Um, and um, so that being said, I think these, th this is a good partnership. There's a good combination here. Um, and hopefully there's enough volume of uh, uh, app companies out there running ads on billboards that need measurement. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely respect both of those teams, and so I I'm excited to see good people work together, right? Yeah, for sure, <laughs> absolutely. There you go. All right, so that's our three industry news stories for this week. Uh, we'll shift over now to our member news, um, and the first story is about our friends at Goat. Uh, Goat, uh, we haven't talked about these guys for a while. They are well known in the uh, sneakerhead uh, subculture community. Uh, these guys are a secondary marketplace for authenticated shoes. They have 20 million users of their app already. We've done some campaigns with these guys over the years. Um, and um, their latest uh, innovation on the app uh, is that they will let you try on limited edition coveted sneakers uh, using augmented reality. So you can take the app, you can uh, point it down at your feet and you can see what your feet look like with you know whatever the latest uh, pair of shoes is that's going on. They, they include samples of the Air Jordan 4, uh, Purple Travis Scott, uh, Air Jordan 3 Fragment, Air Jordan 4 Undefeated, and Air Yeezy One Glow in the Dark Tour. So these are things I know nothing about. I'm not in the sneakerhead, you know, community. Um, but for those that are, I'm sure this is super fun and interesting and exciting. I think your brother is like one of these people, right? Yeah, so um, it's interesting because my my brother and his business partner are like basically the, the <clears throat> ultimate sneaker provider to the stars, right? So, um, you know, Beyonce and Jay-Z want these specific shoes, then they close down their warehouse and Beyonce and Jay-Z and their entourage come in and say what they want. And they're very like unique, right? So 
like you mentioned, some of these older shoes that are hard to find in mint condition or unused and brand new. So they have these, you know, sources and they go all over the world and source these things and, um, you know, are always buying like limited edition things where there's only a hundred of these shoes made or whatever it is. So it's interesting because we were just having the conversation about how the sneaker game is kind of changing. And I think that it's because of companies like Goat, right? So, um, you know, more, it's becoming more of a, a commodity, right? It's less, it's less exclusive because it's, because you've got 20 million app users and because, you know, there's other people that are building technology around this. It's not just this concierge service anymore. And so of course my, you know, my mind goes to like, well, what can you do to offset that? Right? Like how can you maintain exclusivity in the concierge service and, you know, provide technology as well? So I think this is interesting as well. Like we saw Gucci do something like this, not that long ago where you could try on the, yeah. the shoes and I mean, it's cute. It's fun. It's interactive. I think probably for, um, you know, higher end shoes, it, it makes more sense as well. Um, in terms of like what they would look like. I would love to see them maybe take a different take on things as well for like taking a picture of yourself in an outfit and then having the shoes kind of uh, like superimposed on that outfit. Because to me, that would be more important than, you know, just being able to try on some exclusive shoes. Yeah, I, I think that if this was, you know, we're, we're, we're launching something new and trying to build an audience around it, um, I'd be you know, come super negative. But the fact that they already have 20 million people on this app and they're kind of, this is a, a, a feature uh, essentially that they're exposing to their existing user base. I, I think that makes sense, right? I mean, it's, it, 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 it's kind of an internal thing, but like it blows my mind how much these shoes are. Like like they, like this Air Jordan 4 undefe undefeated is going for $23,000, like as a new pair of shoes, like yep. $23,000, like that's insane. Yes, it is. But it is a, I mean, it's like buying art for people, right? It's just, yeah. it's like art you can wear. And um, there is the world I don't live in. Yeah. <laughs> me neither. Me neither. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to live in that world, but it's just not where I am. But yeah. So if you, if you have a need for, for sneakers and you want like concierge service, hook, you know, hit me up. I'll give you my brother's info. But if you want to do something that's easy and try on shoes and, uh, you know, maybe you can't afford them, then you can just pretend that you wear them through the GOAT app. <laughs> there you go. Nice. Yeah. All right. Okay. So we're going to switch gears a little bit here and kind of go over to the restaurant and food industry. And we're always seeing so much movement around this stuff because we've got like you know, the DoorDash and the Uber Eats and the Postmates and all of these different services that are doing unique things and uh, launching new partnerships. And now we are going to a company called Olo. Um, and if you don't know about Olo, their whole mission statement is basically to give customers better, faster, and more personal service from the restaurants they love. And I like this mission statement because it's broad enough where they are just going to keep innovating and doing cool things. But their focus right now um, has been integrating their Rails platform with Google so that customers can actually order from search and from maps uh, within Google, which is really cool. So you search for a restaurant and you can just order right there. Um, you know, you have the restaurant on the map, you can order right there. So they have a network. Olo has a network of about 70,000 different restaurant locations um, that can, you know, reach an order directly from Google. So um, they can also use Google Assistant to help. 
Um, and each order directly goes into the restaurant's point of sale system. So it's right there as if it just came from, you know, one of the other connected Uber Eats or DoorDash type of things. Um, so Google, of course, this is um, a handshake thing. So Google's getting access to Olo's 300 plus restaurant brands. And they say that it's in order to drive volume, um, you know, and drive up the, the price per order or, you know, that shopping cart kind of thing. Um, so Olo already has integration with Uber Eats, Postmates, DoorDash, Waiter, Caviar, and a few more of those types of services as well. But you know, I like that they're thinking about this because uh, it seems like they kind of have covered everything. Part of the integration is that the um, the restaurants can control the pricing. So, you know, you think of something like Yelp, right? I think one of the challenges with Yelp is that it's not a cohesive menu experience when you look at every restaurant. So I want to look at the menu and the menu could be outdated that's on there. It could be a picture of the menu. It could take you to a website of where the menu lives. Um, and you know, there's certain challenges there that are not necessarily streamlined. Whereas here it's completely up to the restaurant and they have control over like the price changes, the menu changes, you know, if you have a seasonal menu, it's there. Um, I mean, I'm not sure how much seasonality and price changes there are with some of the restaurants they mentioned like checkers, which is like a burger joint, but you know, still, I think that the ability that it has control and it doesn't have to go through another service provider, uh, to do that is awesome. So, you know, the other thing I thought of is of course now Google's in on the food game as well. Like everybody's gotta be, have a you know, they have, they have to have like their hands in everything, you know, it's like, Oh, well, Amazon did it. So we got to do it now. Yeah. Um, but I think it's interesting that, um, that people are thinking about ordering through search and through maps. I don't know that I would be doing this. It's not really part of my user behavior, but obviously this is maybe a trend that's starting and, and, you know, maybe it's a younger demographic or, you know, millennials or something are starting to order through search and, um, you know, search is, is totally like reinventing itself as, um, you know, a mechanism for obviously like advertising where it's been for a long time, but also very intent and purpose driven. And so the shorter, it's just like going through the checkout aisle and you see those last minute purchases, right. And you just, they're impulse buys, but now it's like right there on your search menu and you can just impulsively order your burger. Yeah. Uh I, I actually, I'm quite excited about this partnership. I, th I think that, uh, just picking up on your last point, I, I think that search is completely being reinvented. It's voice, it's, it's visual, it, it's integrated uh, ordering services like this. It's completely changing, right? And I think that for a lot of people, I think especially people who um, maybe are new to a city, maybe they're traveling, whatever, you know, you jump onto, you know, Google Maps, you look at, you know, kind of what's around you, you know, what restaurants are nearby, all that sort of stuff. Um, and if you find something and it's in the category of whatever you felt like eating or whatever, maybe th that simplicity of being able to order right then and there from the map, I think is, is a natural kind of extension. So I can see this kind of thing taking off. I think Olo is a great company to enable this. I mean, I've known these guys for years and years. Their CEO, uh, Noah Glass, uh, uh, fantastic guy this guy's just like he's super sharp he's like you know he's very uh, you know marketing savvy uh, you know great at putting these kind of deals together so I wasn't surprised when I when I saw this story um, but um, you know I, I think that I can see this kind of natural extension going from kind of a location enabled uh, you know geo enabled search whether that's on map or on, on, on Google search engine itself 
um, that then you know brings that data there. I think the the other piece of this that for me is fascinating. You say Google is getting into the restaurant business like Amazon and everybody else, but for me the the, the back end piece of this of the restaurants having control and sort of that that real time menu, real time pricing, real time you know sort of access to the data piece of it is fascinating for for me because in a lot of cases like the i don't know how how ready or how equipped some of these restaurant chains are to be able to kind of pump that data you know uh forward if you will into a system right into into the google search results uh yeah so i think you know that's where olo can add a a lot of value to this and on on top of the you know a lot of these restaurant brands that they're already working with right to kind of ease that flow and reduce the friction uh, piece of it. But I also always worry about how much more data does Google need about these places, right? Like, okay, so we already know where they are. We already have their information. We know their business. You know business what it looks hours. like inside. You know, now we know like, okay, their pricing and we know their, you know, what's on their menu and like, you know, all that, right? So, yeah. Um, so anyhow, uh, but but I think this is really, really strong. I'd love to kind of explore this further, uh, especially, you know, we talk a lot at, at our conferences about voice innovation and uh, search and, and so on. So um, I think this, this could be an interesting one uh, for our next retail logo. Anyhow, all right, on to our final story for this week. Um, so kind of countering the story about the city of Philadelphia and um, you know some of the stuff we've been talking about around cashierless stores, Amazon isn't resting on their laurels around Amazon Go uh, in the way that we know it. They are currently testing uh, payment using hand recognition um, and are intending to roll this out as a new payment system at Whole Foods, which they own. Uh, so the project is codenamed Orville at the moment. Um, they're testing this in uh, their New York uh, headquarters, the Amazon New York headquarters, with their own employees at the moment on uh, vending machines uh, in, in their offices. And so basically, um, it uses computer vision and, and geometry technology to identify the size and shape of a person's hand. And you basically come up to the thing, you wave your hand there, and uh, it, it facilitates a payment linked to a credit card that's on file. Uh, so you don't even need to bring your phone or anything like that with you. Um, your hand is linked, to, your hand is your payment device linked to a credit card that it has on file. Unlike the Philadelphia story, no cash is accepted here. This is strictly you know, an automated uh, transaction. Um, so they say this is it, the scanners that they're using is super accurate to within one ten thousandth of one percent, um, which is insane. Um, so you know, I don't know. I mean, can you imagine like you just walk in, you wave your hand, and you paid for a bunch of stuff? Um, I don't know. My kids like like feel like they can do that anyways. Hey dad, like I need that, I need that, I need that, right? They're just waving their hand all over the place. Uh, and, uh, but now they can actually pay with their hands. So that's, that's kind of interesting. So I know it's funny. My, my oldest would probably be like, you know, Oh, of course they recognize you. You've got like those big veins or whatever. She's like, why are your veins sticking out of your hand? I'm like, I don't know. Cause I'm old. Wow, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think this is cool. It, you know, I was having a conversation years ago with one of my colleagues and we were talking about, um, you know, the difference of like fingerprint scanning. And then I can't remember what it is, but it's like a biometric scan of your whole finger. And so like the, I guess like the veins and different things and the shape of your, your finger, can actually, they're much, they're like a hundred thousand times more 
um, unique to you than just your fingerprint. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I would assume that knowing Amazon, they're probably taking things like this into consideration. And that's kind of cool that it's very unique to you and it's very safe. Um, I don't know that I would want the office vending machine knowing like how many Snicker bars I've eaten. I prefer to keep that on a cash basis. <laughs> no. Anonymous. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I you think you just go to Costco is, and you buy the, buy them by the, the box, right? And then you just stash it in a drawer in your, yeah. You know, it's interesting because you think about like kind of the evolution of payment mechanisms and how like the credit card was easier than cash. Cash was, is easier, still easier than writing a check. Right. Um, and then you've got like, now they did this chip, you know, on all the credit cards, which is supposed to be more secure, but it definitely takes longer than just swiping and it's a pain. But I always like if Apple Pay is available now, I almost always use that because, you know, it's debited directly from my account and it's just easy to do. And it it takes a lot less time than finding the credit card and or the debit card or whatever. Um, and then the whole chip thing. So I like the ease of use of things. And so I know that you can even do it now with your watch or like you don't even have to get your phone out. So if you don't have to get anything out and you can just use your hand, that would be great. I wish they would link. You know, when I go to the grocery store, I wish they would just like link your ID with it as well. So they know like you're over 21. I can't believe nobody's come up with a great, you know, easy way to do that because it's like. That's it. They, they just know, look at the veins and go, that's an old person. There that's an old person. Look at that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, uh, I forgot my ID in the cars. I got to yeah. go out, you know. So, um, but I think that like again we're playing on the convenience factor so if that's an option then yeah. people are going to use it no and I, and I think there's so many different ways to do this type of authentication now like whether it's veins or fingerprints or facial recognition or you know i know some people are using um uh, heartbeats that are unique some people are you know like uh, i know amazon actually i was talking to somebody over there at head office uh and they're playing around with gait analysis, which is unique as well. Everybody has a unique way they walk, apparently. And so cameras can 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 look at, analyze your walk, and they know that's Aubriana's walk. Swag pay. It's called swag pay. Yeah, swag pay. There you go. So, um, yeah, so there's all kinds of things, right? So, um, but yeah, I, I think the convenience of this is the key, right? And I think that, um, you know, I could see that something like this taking off quite easily. So uh, good for Amazon playing around with it and you know soon to be at a whole foods near you apparently there you go so that's our show for this week um you've been listening to episode number 435 of this week in location-based marketing uh if you are watching the video uh and you'd like to get in touch with us the contact information is at the end of the show if you're just listening uh, on the audio version we are easily found on all the major social media platforms out there um and we just thank you for listening and watching, and uh, we appreciate uh, any feedback, any criticism, any story ideas that you want to, uh, to bring to us. Uh, reach out at any time. Uh, thank you so much, and we'll be back, of course, next week with yet another show. Have a great week, everybody. Bye.